Hey guys, it's Maya. It's been a while, but it is currently March 2020. The coronavirus is raging, and I'm self-quarantined for the foreseeable future. So I figured, why not interview a couple friends? Today, you will be hearing from Danny Wool. Danny and I met when we were 12 years old. She was one of my first camp friends, and she is one of my best camp friends. Um, we always say that our conversations are like little mini podcasts. Danny's the kind of person who you could talk to for hours about anything, and she would make it interesting. We had a great conversation. We talked about friendship and sibling dynamics. We talked about the coronavirus. Danny taught us um, a fun acronym to use to remember not to touch your face. So keep listening to hear all of that. Enjoy. Danny, what did your parents do wrong? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's something they did wrong, but they did instill a binary sense of right and wrong within me from a young age. And I think that's definitely caused some confusion throughout middle childhood and then especially the beginning of high school. Do you have some examples? Yes. So I don't know if there's like a clear cut story that would best exemplify this, but rather just the mentality that I had growing up was that if you do something wrong, you get punished. And I think that's something that a lot of kids understand, except when I was little and definitely not to make myself sound like an angel child because I was not. Just me and my siblings didn't really retaliate or try to get in trouble or try to do things wrong. And I think there was this constant sense of if you do bad things, you get punished and you are a bad person. Even if it was never, you know, spoken like, spoke, said like that, but for my parents or if the dialogue around it was never, you do something bad, you're a bad person. That's definitely the mentality that I adopted, which became kind of confusing. Of course, like now um, being a teenager and understanding kind of the gray areas of morality and then understanding how things how good people can do bad things and vice versa but even when i was you know five or six and i'd go over to a friend's house and their parents would get mad at them for something and they'd be punished i would think well like my friends aren't a bad person why are they doing something bad why are they getting punished and it kind of created this confusion in me of are my friends bad people because they do things differently than me are my friends bad people because their parents punish them are their parents bad people because they punish their kids in this I would say in my, like, some of my formative years, I was confused on just discipline and how people are punished. And I don't know if it's something that my parents did wrong, but it's rather a situation they never had to encounter because we never really retaliate either in like early childhood, like the terrible twos, or even into high, sc- into high school. Like I've never felt the need for my teenage rebellion. You talked a lot about right and wrong, and I think one place that I really discovered that there were a lot of gray areas when it came to right and wrong were friendship, especially in high school. I think one of the most interesting things that you've talked to me about is this idea that just because people are different from you or your values don't completely line up doesn't mean that they aren't worthy of your friendship or that they're bad people or even that you might not make a good match as friends. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Definitely. I think you just brought up a lot of really good, really strong points that I definitely had to navigate throughout 
the beginning of high school, especially in grade nine. I know you call it freshman year or ninth grade in Canada. <laughs> yes. Danny's um, Canadian, if you couldn't tell. We just had a conversation where I said, can you be four inches away from your microphone? And she said, I don't know inches. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So I think that definitely at the beginning of high school, I was meeting a bunch of new people just for reference. I My middle school, my graduating class was 30 kids. And then my grade in grade nine was around 150 kids. So it was definitely a big increase. And I was meeting a bunch of new people from other feeder schools, from public schools. And I definitely encountered different types of people than I had grown up with. And a lot of my closest friends from elementary school and from camp were going to high school with me. But there were also a lot of new people, which meant new friends and new types of friends. So in terms of the sense of right and wrong, which I'd already started to kind of under, I was starting to understand that just because people were different from me doesn't mean they are bad or anything like that. I, I think that most people when they're 14 years old have a sense of the gray areas of what's right and wrong, what's moral or what's immoral. But I think something that became an you know, kind of an inner issue for me was that a lot of my peers, not necessarily my closest friends, but a lot of my peers would party and would drink. And it became this inner, I would say this inner turmoil, this inner issue of, can I still be friends with people, even if they do stuff that I don't value or that I don't do? I know it doesn't make them a bad person, but doesn't make them a bad friend. And if we differ on something that I think was really fundamental, you know, looking back now, it doesn't really matter. But in grade nine, when it's a social thing and it seems like everyone's doing it, if I have my firm stance of I don't want to do this, I don't want to drink, I don't want to give in to peer pressure, can I still be friends with someone who does? They might not be peer pressuring me to do it, but can I still be friends with someone whose values are very different than mine? I completely relate to that, especially, I mean, I go to a small high school, mostly with people that I went to middle school and elementary school with, but I think I still, I perceived that pressure. And I think that kind of related to your point about, about values lining up, something that I spent a really long time looking for in my friendships was like, I really wanted to be friends with someone who I like completely lined up with and like, you know, them and I felt the same on everything. And I think I looked for that in a lot of different places. And I think I've come close. But I think for a very long time, my social life was very fragmented between my school friends and my friends from my youth group and my camp friends. And there's some overlap. You know, you know a lot of my youth group friends. And I think, you know, a lot of my school friends have kind of gotten to know who my other friends are because we all we all talk about each other. But I was looking really, really hard for someone who was the same as me. And I think that, honestly, like much more recently, like within the past couple of months, I think that I've really found that what I value the most in friendship is being able to acknowledge the gray areas. You know, one of my one of my best friends and I over the past couple of months have learned that we're very different in a lot of significant ways. And I think that like that relationship and that like that friendship has taught me so 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 much about myself but I think that like ninth grade Maya grade nine Maya as you would say (laughs) would not have been comfortable kind of knowing that I think knowing that those differences 
exist. And I think that even though I have always been someone who operates in all gray areas, I still think that that was one that was hard for me a while ago that I think has has made a lot more sense to me now. Mm-hmm. I think also not only is there kind of a difference of values within the people that you meet, but I would say I like to categorize them as like friendship styles and the ways in which you are friends with certain people. And for example, someone who I was starting to get close to in grade nine who did like to drink and did like to party and that all was made me sort of uncomfortable in grade nine because I found it was the primary focus of a lot of our conversations and I wasn't you know super excited about that but and I think that just the way in which she was friends with other people was not what I was used to and that led to a lot of miscommunication that led to what I would refer to as like my only big dramatic fight that I've ever had with a friend in which it wasn't even fighting it was more her her getting mad at me, not knowing what to do, which again goes back to me not being a rebel as a child because I just did not know how to, like I'm very non-confrontational and I still am, but even more so when I was in grade nine, I was very insecure. I was not in a position to, you know, stand up for myself and stand up for um, the friendship that I, the type of friendship I wanted to have. But I almost, I think, grew a nine Danny was like, I'm going to blacklist this girl from my mind, from my friends and what I think of as my friends because she's just not good for me. And then in grade 10, we became friendly again. We started talking in the classes that we had together. And then in grade 11, we like started becoming a bit closer. And then now this year, we are definitely friends again. She's not a bad person by any means. She was not a bad person in grade nine. She still is not a bad person now. She's actually great. And I learned that I can have friends, like different kinds of friends in different capacities. And I think that she's one of the people who I consider one of my friends and I actually I care for her and I think she's a great person, even if she's not in my, what I would refer to as like my closest circle of friends. I think part of what I've learned over the past four years of, years of high school and then especially I think within like grade 11 and grade 12 is that it's really good to have a bunch of friends, even if they're not people who you speak to every day or who you eat lunch with every day, but it's nice to have a a wide circle of people who you can, you know, who you can chat with and who you can relate to and who you'll always think of as your high school friends. Uh, Yes. This idea of different, different friends who kind of fulfill different roles in your life, I think is one of the most useful tools that you can have as as a person who's you know navigating big friend groups or just like complicated or multiple friend groups this is something that um someone first brought up to me when I was probably a freshman um when I I think at that point in my life I really took a lot of pride in my school friends I, I wasn't very close with my school friends I, I called them my work friends and I like thought it was cool that like I was much closer with my camp friends and my scoop friends and my school friends didn't really know much about I think what what I would consider to be my personal life but also just like they didn't know my personality very well and I think then I really used it as a way to tell myself that that was okay and I it was okay for a while but then this past summer going into senior year I was having a ton of huge changes in my friend groups and you brought up this idea of different friends who 
serve different roles again. And I think it has really, it really changed my outlook on all the different shifts I was having in my friend group. I think I, a friend group that really, really mattered to me for a really long time. Um, I was kind of realizing both like wasn't the same, but also wasn't the healthiest thing for me. And I was talking to you about it and you told me that it, you, you said a lot that, you know, it was okay that, that we didn't have that same relationship and it didn't kind of recognizing that it wasn't the healthiest, didn't make it, didn't ruin all the memories that we had of the past. That was like the hugest thing for me. And I think that that has been really, really powerful in helping me let go of feeling like I failed at a friendship because people change, especially when you're 17 years old, you're changing so quickly. And I think it's not productive to beat yourself up about a friendship ending or changing just because you changed as a person. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good point. Just really quickly, because before, you know, we move on the conversation, I think it is so grade nine. It's so like the end of middle school, beginning of high school to be like, these are my camp friends and they're my special friends and I'm not friends with them or, and they're not as close as my school friends. And in my case, it was like, yeah, we're friends at camp, but like, we're not friends at school. Like we, I went like 90% of my cabin went to my school and I still felt so like, yeah, we're friends at camp. We're not friends at school. I mean, that had a bunch of other reasons attached to it, but there was so much pressure to feel this distinction between your camp friends who you're super close with and your school friends who are, you know, your work friends. I think that's just such an interesting dynamic to deconstruct, but again, for another time. Totally. No, I mean, we just talked about this for like a moment because I remember talking to you and some other people in your cabin and in my cabin about that. And we all just like accepted it. We were all like, yeah, like this is normal. We just don't talk at school. So weird. Yeah. Or I'll see like on TikTok, I'll see like the Rama hype house, like it'll come up in my for you page sometimes. And um they they like they'll talk about that, about like, oh like my school friends just don't just don't understand. Um and <laughs> it's true, but I feel like it's true because you make it that way, you know? Definitely. And I think also um I actually I remember having a conversation like with you. I think it might have been at camp where we were talking about how like school, like we all hate school, we all hate school. I never really hated my high school experience, which I think is something which again, we could talk about for hours, especially how it relates to just being involved in the same youth group and how I think everyone involved in our youth group has a very different high school experience than the one that I've had, which is, it's just interesting to look at in retrospect. Um, But I also, I think that this idea of like my camp friends are not my school friends definitely relates back to when you're 14 years old. And I, I read I read this um, in my English class because my English teacher is also like a sociology, anthropology, psychology teacher. And she mentioned this and I think it's so true. Though the ages of 14 and 15, you feel like you're on a stage. You feel like everyone is watching you and, you, and everyone is judging you and everyone's looking at the zit on your face. But in reality, everyone feels this way and everyone's only focusing on this zit on their face which I just makes so much sense to me and honestly is what's kind of one of the things that I think has inspired me to want to work with teens and want to work in education is that this time is so difficult for so many reasons but one of them is that you want to feel like you belong but then you also don't want to you don't want people to think that you want to feel like you belong because you feel like everyone's watching you our counselor um 
went to the same high school as me. We were together. We were there together for one year. I was a freshman while she was a senior. And I remember at camp talking to her and she was like, I don't know the names of like anyone in your grade. I don't know who these people are. And I was like, how do you not know that? I could name every single person in your grade. Like, I don't understand how you don't notice. And she was like, yeah, like now that I'm a senior, I just kind of like walk around, say hi to people. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's chill. And I like did not believe her. But now that I'm a senior at that school, I'm like, oh, I completely get it. There's only like 22 freshmen. And I like recognize maybe four of them. Sometimes I'll see one and I'll be like, does that kid go to school here? Like, I'm not sure. I know you just remind me of like the quote from Mean Girls. By the way, I think Mean Girls is one of the best teen videos, videos, teen movies of all time. And I am saying that recognizing that I'm a teenage girl with tons of bias. But there's a quote from Mean Girls and it's high school used to be like a shark tank. Now I could just float. And even though I'm someone who really enjoyed my high school experience, I think that going into grade 12, like this quote very much resonated with me. It's now not only academically was I secure in like the classes I was taking, although that only really happened halfway through grade 12. And that's again a story for another time. And just my experience with taking, with trying new courses and figuring out what I liked and how that's different than what I'm passionate about, whole other conversation. But especially socially, I was able to build a really good safety net and a really good like, you know, fish tank of all my friends and friends in different grades and um, friends from different clubs or different committees or different um, areas of the school that I was involved with. And it was easy to float within this fish, fish tank. It didn't feel like there were sharks coming at me. So I think we have decided that there is no clear black and white, right and wrong in friendship, especially when you're in high school. It's very complicated. But um, we are recording this on... March 17th, 2020. We are both currently self-quarantined in our own houses. And we were chatting earlier. And I think that there is one place where we do see a right and wrong with obviously a few shades of gray right now, which is um leaving the house. Would you like to brief the listener on yes. what you mean by that? So for the listener who's hopefully, you know, listening to this sometime in the future when we are not required to stay home um right now there is kind of the, a panic surrounding the coronavirus and i know my school is closed down until april 20th but there's this understanding that everyone is doing their part so we can you know we say flatten the curve in terms of people being and contracting the virus we should all be staying home in, in terms of teenagers like we we're not in school we don't really need to be going out hanging out at friends' houses, you know, going to the movies, although the movies in Toronto, like all movie theaters in Ontario have closed. Um, taking advantage to- of the cheap flights to go on vacations taking, with your friends. Taking advantage of the cheap flights to go on vacation. I don't, no one in my school is doing that, but like, yeah, or traveling. There were kids I saw, but I followed them on Instagram where like have mutual friends and they're on public school and they were in Montreal and one of their Instagram captions was Corona who? And this just like, set me off again i'm not a very angry or confrontational person but i was seriously contemplating commenting um corona is a serious disease what do you mean corona who to me like i don't want to say you know if you do this you're a bad person but i think that if you are you know leaving the house for no good reason not to go grocery shopping or not to you know be a person like be a public servant like 
I think it's selfish. And I think you're not thinking about the repercussions of your actions, not only to like your grandparents, but also just in general, like we need to work together as a, as a society, as a city, as a community to fight this virus and to fight it through, oh, I'm totally blanking on the phrase, but it's like there's strength in numbers and there's strength in us all doing our part. And the more people who spend the more more people spending more time at home means that this recovering from this virus happens happens more quickly and you know i think that maybe we all have selfish motives like i know i want to be back in school to finish off my senior year and that's personally creating a lot of anxiety that i won't be able to come back and be there for my senior for the end of my senior year but so maybe the motive for that is selfish but still i recognize that people are sick people are dying and there is i think it's just this need for us as for us as people for us as humans for us as moral beings to stay home well yeah and this is this is the social contract i feel like we usually talk about the social contract right we usually talk about it in terms of like oh i i don't use I don't know. I don't. I don't walk around naked for the benefit of society because we've agreed that public nudity is a crime. But I think like this is a much stronger example that I hope will be used in the future of the social contract. You know, it's it's not a law yet. Um, right now, it's just a recommended shelter and quarantine. Although I do think that within the next couple of days, we'll start seeing orders from the government to shelter in place. But right now, this is this is us giving up something for the benefit of society. And I think this is a really, really clear example of, of acting on that value. So all of this social distancing and self-quarantining, I think, and a lot of people think, is a really great time to prioritize yourself. Get into meditation, do some yoga, cook some new food, prioritize your mental health and physical health. Um, Danny, I think you have a really great take on social distancing (laughs) yes so i've been saying i think for the past i don't know it feels like a a month but it's probably only been four days that my quote is social distancing is a great time to be a narcissist so on one hand there is the being a narcissist in a good way is like focusing on yourself i know i'm trying to do like lots of like meal prepping and meal planning and that's kind of where I'm at I also you know clean my room and now I'm focusing on mindfulness so I'm like I'm I'm doing me and on that hand and I think that's what a lot of people are doing and that's a really effective use not only of your time but of your energy that could be put into being anxious because I know I struggle with that so I'm happy that I have something else to put it into rather than being scared and anxious all the time but the flip side of this, of social distancing as a time to be a narcissist, is, as we said before, you know, focusing on yourself with the mentality of, oh, I'm young, I won't die from this virus, when in reality, yes, you won't, oh, but you are a vehicle for which the virus can be spread. So stay home, be a narcissist in the good way, don't be a narcissist who travels and takes public transportation when you really don't need to. Two things that bother me about the world are when people have like like a mob mindset and when people have like a like a lone wolf mindset, you know? I think we need a team mindset because I think where you see the effects of like the mob here are like people buying out all of the toilet paper in stores 
when it looks like we are going to have access to toilet paper and water. Um, neither of those are going to be issues with the quarantine. And then I think where you have this like lone wolf mentality is people who are going out to bars, partying, saying, it's okay, I personally would not be affected. You know, they would say, oh, it would be, it would be a bad cold. It would be, you know, like a moderate flu if I got sick. And I think that I I don't want to say a team mentality is in the middle. I think it's like a different level where I think that that's all that, I think that's the only thing that's really going to get us through this as safely and quickly as possible is accepting that we are very deeply connected. You know, that is how a virus that started in China has spread to the entire world um, is that we are deeply connected. And I think that we have to accept that and embrace it in order to really keep ourselves safe. If I can figure out how it, <laughs> wow, someone's coughing. Um, I'll I'm put sorry, the. It's because I have a dry throat. I do not have the coronavirus. Yeah, it's okay. I'm sneezing, but it's because it's allergy season, not because I have the coronavirus. Sneezing, sneezing is not a symptom. It is a lower respiratory illness. My mom was describing. My mom is a dermatologist, but she still, you know, still has like that med school brain, and she said it is an illness of the lower respiratory system. So like wet coughing and sneezing are not symptoms. Thank you for sharing. I feel much better now because I've been going on a lot of walks to pass the time. I've been walking, I've been going on bike rides, and um sometimes I'll like sneeze and like people in general are like keeping their distance, like not like really passing each other on the sidewalk. But if I'm always scared to sneeze because people will like run away from me. But it's just allergies. It's just like go outside and I sneeze because it's the middle of March, you know, and things are thawing out. <laughs> the pollen man. It really is the pollen, um, and it makes my eyes itchy, but I can't touch my eyes because you're not supposed to touch your face. I know. You know, just just avoid touching men, mouth, eyes, and nose. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to share that acronym again. Avoid touching men, mouth, eyes, and nose. I did, I did not come up with that, but I saw it, and I said I said to my mom at, at dinner, the other day, I'm like, you know, over these past two weeks, I realized something. I love touching men. No, that eyes and nose. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. We all got a kick out of that. I like it. Okay, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to talk about is sibling dynamics and like how your birth order plays into who you are. And I think not what your personality is, but how you express it. One of my favorite games to play is um, guessing people's birth order and like what what kind of like what their sibling situation is when I get to know them because I think I'm pretty good at it but sometimes I'll like really miss and then I can explain to them why I thought they were something else so just to talk about like my own family I'm the oldest I have three younger brothers but it's I have two brothers who are close in age to me I'm 17 I have a 15 year old brother a 12 year old brother and then I have a much younger brother who turned four a couple months ago so really, I think we're a fascinating case study in middle child, middle children and youngest children because um, my brother Oz, who's 15, used to be like a true middle. And then Arye, who's 12, used to be a youngest. But then Arye um, lost that status four years ago and he was eight years old. So I, I am the oldest child very much in that I am not sensitive in like an emotional way, but very, I think I'm very high strung. I'm very anxious. Um, I need a lot of adult validation and 
I, I like to be in charge. I am often the boss. Um, Oz is very much a middle child. He is calm. He's kind. He's the most patient of us. Um, and for those of you that are familiar with like the, the three children of the Seder, the three sons, um, I am the wicked one. Oz is the <laughs> Tom, which is like either mild or kind. He's kind of like, he's chill. Arye is the Chacham, the wise, but really it's it's not really wise. It's more smart. And then people say there's a fourth child, the one who does not does not yet know how to ask, and that would be Avishai, who is four years old. Because so he's because he's little. He's little. I mean, a couple of years ago, he didn't know how to talk. Now he does, though. Um, that's so cool. Just like side note, I think that's so cool that you like your you know formative teenage years were his formative human years. Oh, it's it's fascinating. It's so interesting, and I'm very excited to see how he grows up. He's a great experiment. Um, <laughs> but. I think these sibling dynamics are so interesting. And while this is really like one of my greatest passions in life, Danny, I think that you're interesting because I think that you are a youngest in a couple ways. You know, I know that you're you're close with your mom, but you were also a mature child when you were young. Do you want to talk about yes. your sibling dynamics, some influences on you? Yeah. So I'd also like to I'll talk about that and then I'll also I think the concept of being a mature child or mature for your age is such an interesting thing to dissect and to deconstruct because I've been told that from a very early age and then also there were influences on my life that definitely impacted the way that people, the way that outsiders, whether my external relatives or like my distant relatives or um, family friends or our community kind of saw me, but I'll more on that later. Um, just like for reference, I am the youngest of three in my um, nuclear, not nuclear family, but my kind of biological family. Um, I have an older brother who is five years older than me, an older sister who's three years older than me. And then my dad passed away when I was eight years old, which definitely contributed to a lot to my upbringing and the person who I am today. And I think that's such an interesting thing to look back on now that I kind of have an understanding of grief and the impact that losing a parent has on your form um, has within your formative years and that's again I keep saying this but it's a conversation for another time that I would love to talk about because it's something that I think is really important and isn't spoken about enough but so that definitely had an impact on people's kind of viewing my, me and my siblings as mature children although I do think I had the added benefit slash added um, disadvantage of being called a mature child ever since I was really, really little. And um, um, and then two years ago, my mom got remarried to my stepdad and he has um, three kids. And then his youngest is my sister's age. He's three years older than me. And then the other two are in their 20s and um my oldest stepbrother he is actually married and he's his wife is expecting which is really exciting i'm going to be a step aunt which is something i never thought i'd say i would be but it's it's really exciting and i'm so happy for them and i am really happy that they're people who've come into my life and i know i really do care about them even though i think it's you know it's so interesting, I think, to gain, like, step-siblings or just to gain new siblings later in life. I know you always later in life, like, later in childhood. I know that you definitely have a different outlook because for you it was a younger sibling and for me it's older siblings. But, you know, 
I'm walking around my my family room right now and I see like the picture of all of us and I think you know these are my siblings these are people who I really care about and I'm really happy that we're all kind of we're in this together and and I think in some ways I fit into you know the middle child or the oldest child mode in that I've always felt a lot of responsibility part of that is being um a high-strung person who likes approval from adults i guess that is a oldest child kind of thing but i've always felt yeah like, i love approval yeah. from adults that's what <laughs> i'm too. what i'm most stressed about about online school is that i heavily rely on my teachers telling me that i am a good person and i am doing a good job and um i hope that they'll still do that for me when we have our two 30 minute mm-hmm. online classes uh-huh. um just for reference before we start filming this pod before I started recording this podcast I was telling Maya how I sent emails to my English teacher and like I'm someone like I write emails very fast and like you know I'm I'm think I've kind of mastered the art of a good respectful professional email and then like I spent 15 minutes crafting this email to my teacher because I just want to sound like smart and I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about and that I'm this like super intelligent English student because I feel like you know what overachieving theater kid doesn't want their English teacher's approval. But I, I think it's funny that we have that in common. I think it's very middle child-esque to understand the different power dynamics and the different people who you're working with and understand how to get them to communicate and talk to each other. And that's definitely something that I've developed in terms of my leadership style over the past little bit. I really admire that because that is that is like so, so hard for me. Um, I'm very easily frazzled. So even when I'm in charge, I still get very easily frazzled, but I get that. It's really, really hard. Okay, a couple of things I noticed. First of all, I never realized this until now, but me and my two brothers that are close in age to me have the same age difference as you, Teddy, and Hannah. It's oh. there's it's me, two years, then O's, then three years, then REA. And then also the genders like make sense. True, true, because there's one girl, two boys. Yeah. One boy, two girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think also to touch on the the maturity thing, you were kind of a maturity double whammy because – is that a phrase, double whammy? I think it's a sports thing. Um, I don't know, sports. (laughs) You you really got a lot of it because I think you both have a – a, a wise or maybe like an old soul personality but then Definitely. I think also so you know as a child you naturally were like that but then you also got hit with an event that is kind of thought of as like something that happens when you are mature or later in life you know the death of a parent that kind of made people see you as mature and I wonder if that also Definitely. changed your perception of yourself as oh people around me are telling me I'm a mature person I am I am mature. That is one of my most important qualities. You know, do you think that happened? Definitely. Um, you know, I saw this, it was like a meme on Twitter, but it's really true. And it's that like kids who dealt with, with you know, psychological trauma at a young age were, were forced to grow up in a way that other kids weren't. So when you say, you know, oh, you're so mature for your age, you're really saying, oh, you had trauma and it shows. <laughs> yes. I've been thinking about that meme because I think, I think I've seen that and I've been like, oh. Danny. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that it's definitely translated to who I am today in that I find a lot of times I have a view on social situations very differently than some of my peers. Danny, 
if you were giving your parents some advice, what would you tell your parents to do differently? Um, you know, I think I would say that in terms of like right and wrong, I think that it's okay to let kids figure that out by themselves in terms of the gray areas that surround them. I think that's a big part about growing up. But I think honestly, just to reassure them that like, it's okay to be a kid. You don't need to be mature when you're eight years old. You don't need to be an adult when you're 14. It's okay to be a kid. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any social medias that you'd like to plug? I know you have an announcement that you want to make to the listeners. Um, <laughs> well, if, for all the listeners out there, I think that me and Maya should have our own podcast called Great Lakes, Great Discussions because she lives in Detroit and I live in Toronto. So we're both centered on Great Lakes. Maybe we'll add in a friend in Chicago to make it like more Great Lakes. And we have some great discussions together. So, you know, if you like our witty banter and you like us talking together, let Maya know. Yes, let me know. Email me. DM me on Instagram. Message me on TikTok. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I'm Maya Gamer. This has been everything my parents ever did wrong. And please follow me on TikTok at The Real Maya Gamer. Bye.